0: So Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to the Gospel of John. It is my privilege and honor to be back in with you in the Gospel of John. We'll be on page 896 of the Pew Bible if you don't have a Bible on you. Uh, and I wanted to say Happy New Year to you. We finish out our second full calendar year here as a church. And so I just want to take a moment and say to you how deeply grateful I am to God for allowing me the privilege of, sh- of serving you in the teaching and preaching of the Bible week after week. And I want you to know what a profound honor it is that you show to me in allowing me to spend my life serving you and seeing Christ formed in you in the ministry of the Word, I'm, I think every single Sunday that I get to share with you, I get to serve as your pastor, I get a little bit closer to understanding what the Apostle Paul meant when he spoke to the Philippians and called them my joy and my crown. There are few joys in my life, personally, that surpass the delight that I feel when I am witness to God's transforming work in your life. If I have had any influence in your life in 2017, I pray that it has been to encourage you to read the Scriptures, to seek your Lord in the Scriptures, and to delight yourself in the Lord Jesus. Something I am eager to stir up again in you the last Sunday of this year. John chapter 10. I'm going to read from verse 1, and I'm going to read down to verse 15. Verse 15. Then I'm going to pray again. We'll take 45 minutes or so in this passage. John chapter 10, verse 1. Reading from this beautiful Bible you guys got me for Christmas. Thank you again. Truly, truly, I say to you he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief. And a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him for they know His voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from Him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what He was saying to them. So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. will go in and out, find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life. cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have sent the good shepherd to lay down his life for his sheep. I pray, Lord, that we, your people, would be attentive to his voice as he speaks our name from his word. And that we would follow him not following our own heart or our own desires, but that we would follow our good shepherd and that he would lead us this morning to good pastures. Feed us again, as you have done so many times before, from your word, so that we would be built up and encouraged, equipped and strengthened, serve you faithfully, to serve you fruitfully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The patriarch Jacob became reminiscent in his old age, as people are prone to be, and he summarized his life to his son Joseph, admitting, God has been my shepherd all my life long. And it was true, God had been faithful to shepherd Jacob. And if you know the history of Jacob, you know at times it probably wasn't a very easy task for God to do. And then centuries later, after Jacob was long since dead, the psalmist David committed that same sentiment to song, singing those famous words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In the Bible, the Lord is often revealed as a shepherd, leading his people in the way a shepherd leads sheep, guiding them, protecting them, feeding them. He's done it with men, under shepherds, as it were, men that he had entrusted to bring his people into right relationship with God, to teach them his ways to encourage faithful worship. Men like Moses were called to shepherd God's people. Before the kings sat thrones in Israel, the judges were called to shepherd God's people. After the judges, kings came along and acted as shepherd leaders. Well, the Old Testament is very clear on this matter. Although Israel had many shepherds, none of them were sinless. All of Israel's shepherds were flawed men. Moses, for example, led the people in the wilderness, but he was not permitted to bring them into the promised land because of his sin. King David famously abused his shepherding authority. Most, the most crushing indictment on Israel's shepherds came in the 6th century B.C. through the prophet Ezekiel when God exposed bad shepherds in Israel who would feed themselves and leave God's people starved who would clothe themselves and leave God's people without. Ezekiel chapter 34, the Lord speaks these words to the shepherds. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness, you've ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep, God says, were scattered. Well, then God goes on from verse four and five to promise that he himself would seek his own people, and he would gather them to himself, and then he pledges this to Israel. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. A similar passage is before us this morning. It serves as an indictment on bad shepherds and the promise of the true shepherd. John chapter 10 reveals Jesus Christ is the greater servant, David. He's the true shepherd of God's people. He's the one shepherd that will lead God's people to good pasture, who will protect them and who will give them abundant life. And so let's take a look, verse by verse, through the first 15 verses of Jesus Christ as the good shepherd. Verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, they'll flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. I think it's helpful for us to understand this passage to recognize that chapter divisions were not in John's Gospel, The Holy Spirit did not put them there. The Apostle John did not put them there. They were added later by a fellow named Steve. And while chapter divisions are helpful at times, they are unhelpful at other times. This is one of those other times. I would direct your attention to the fact that Jesus, if you have your Bible open, has not stopped talking since chapter 9. Steve and his chapter division have interrupted the Lord of glory in the middle of a dialogue by putting a giant bold 10 right there. Because Steve is a bonehead. (laughs) It's helpful because of what Jesus says in verse 1. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you. Well, who's you? The Jews? The Pharisees? Me? Am I, am I you? Is he speaking to me? Well, verse 40 of chapter 9 tells us who's you. Some of the Pharisees near him. And so I think it's important for us to understand this passage to recognize that the whole bit about the good shepherd is not directed to the Jews. It's directed to the Pharisees the religious leaders of Jesus' day. That's important. Probably there were more people around them, around him than just them on account of verse 19, but specifically this passage is directed to the Pharisees. And so this is helpful because the whole contrast between shepherds, thieves and robbers, shepherds and strangers, is meant to call out bad shepherding. If you remember from a couple of weeks ago, the Lord healed a man who was born blind. This caused quite a stir, as you might imagine, in the community there. The man had testified to his neighbors, to the Pharisees, that this man named Jesus had done this for me. Well, the Pharisees at this point in Jesus' ministry did not very much like him on account of his claims to be God, on account of him breaking their rules. So rather than rejoicing with a man who was, had just been given this miraculous healing, those shepherds scolded him and kicked him out of their church. So upon them comes the Lord's words. He who does not enter by the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man, you Pharisees, is a thief and a robber. The thieves and the robbers in John 10 are the Pharisees. Verse 10 says that they come to steal and kill and destroy the sheep. It is almost the very same indictment that God gave against the bad shepherds In Ezekiel 34, the point of Jesus' metaphor in verse 1 to 5 is to bring contrast between the true shepherd and the thieves and robbers. The true shepherd enters the door by the sheep gate. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The thief and the robber, they don't use the gate. They don't go through the gatekeeper. They They climb in another way. The true shepherd calls his sheep by name and they come out. He leads them out. But a stranger won't follow, won't be followed by the sheep because they don't know his voice. What Jesus is referring to here is a first century practice of gathering sheep together. When sheep weren't out gazing in the fields, they would be gathered into the community And many different sheep from different sheep owners would be corralled all together in the same corral. And when it was time to go out to pasture, a shepherd would go to the gate of this big community corral, and the gatekeeper who was in charge of watching the sheep would recognize the shepherd. The shepherd would enter into the corral, and he would begin to call out the names of his sheep, the sheep that he was in charge of. They'd recognize his voice. They'd come to him, and he would lead them out of the corral onto pasture. So Jesus is saying they won't come to a stranger because they don't know a stranger's voice. The stranger had not spent time with them. Sheep don't have great eyesight, but they do have good hearing. They'd grown up with their shepherd, they knew his voice. In those days, shepherds didn't drive sheep from behind, they led them from in front. And a shepherd would often keep talking as he walked along, sing songs, and the sheep would hear his voice, and as long as they could hear the voice of the shepherd, they would follow their shepherd, they knew everything was okay, and they would find good pasture. The man born blind was rejected by the Pharisees, and he came to Jesus. He came to Jesus because Jesus was his shepherd. The Pharisees were strangers. They had entered the fold another way. They were a stranger to God's people. And so God's people would come to recognize their true Savior and recognize his true voice. So this is what Jesus is teaching them. But as you read in verse 6, They don't understand what he's saying. And so he presses the metaphor a little further. He says in verse seven Truly, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. We looked at this passage last year when we did our primer on the Gospel of John. We went through the seven I am statements of Jesus. If you would like a fuller statement of what Jesus means by I am the door, the audio and the video are still available on the website, I believe. But Jesus at this point is sort of shuffling his metaphor around to make a point. Uh, When you were in high school, your English teacher probably told you that it was not a good idea to mix metaphors. But Jesus is a Lord of glory, and he doesn't listen to English teachers, and so he'll just do as he pleases, and we ought to listen. What Jesus is referring to here as, I am the gate, is, I am the door, is something that shepherds would do in the field as they led their sheep out of the corral in the community, out into the pasture. They would protect their sheep at night from wandering off. they protect their sheep at night from being attacked by wild animals by constructing a, a crude little fence made of stones, a circular fence made of stones with an opening. I have a picture of it here if you Sort of kind of give you an idea of what it might have looked like in the first century. So they would take these sheep out to the fields, they would feed them, and then at night they would bring them in, and they would bring them into the corral or to this little sheepfold. At nighttime, the shepherd would watch over his sheep. And there wasn't, as you can see in the picture, there wasn't really a door per se, But traditionally, it is believed that shepherds would lay across the opening at nighttime to keep the sheep in the inside and to keep any animals from coming in. And so while there was no door in the sheepfold, the shepherd himself was the door. Whether this is actually what happened or not, this is what Jesus is saying. I am the door. No one enters the sheepfold without coming through the door, which I am. There is only one door. I am that door. He says the same thing in chapter 14. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to enter God's flock. Only one door. Jesus Christ is that door. Well, he makes a wonderful promise in verse 9. He says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out to find good pasture. I know that many of you in this room have found that verse to be true in your own life. Many of you have found the Lord to be safe. You found him to be satisfying. He has led you in. And out through green pastures and fed your soul well. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I'm just so very glad that you came to church today. And I suppose the language of Jesus Christ here about being safe, about being satisfying, it probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you. But the truth is, all the things that we look for to give us safety and satisfaction outside of Christ will always let us down. Money, influence, recognition, control, comfort, approval. If we look for those things anywhere but in Jesus Christ, they will always fail us. The only place to find safety and satisfaction is in Jesus. You don't have to take my word for it. This church is filled with people who have found that to be true. And after the service is over today, I would encourage you to reach out to those around you. And I know that they would be delighted to share with you how the Lord has shown himself faithful in this way in their life. Verse 10 contrasts the life of those under bad shepherding, the influence of religious leaders, with the good shepherding and under the influence of Jesus. I've heard it said verse 10 is referring to the devil, Satan. The thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy is the devil. Well, I think that is true about the devil and about our enemy. I doubt very much that the Lord has, Jesus, has Satan in mind here. I don't think the thief in verse 10 is the devil. I think he's talking to bad shepherd leaders. Bad shepherds take from the sheep. They don't give life to the sheep. They kill the sheep. Bad shepherds destroy the flock. They don't mature the flock or grow the flock. Good shepherds, indeed the good shepherd, came to give life, (coughs) abundant life. It's important to understand that by abundant life, Jesus probably doesn't mean financial success. Probably doesn't mean marital bliss. Probably doesn't mean a life of influence and control. Probably the abundant life Jesus is referring to here is a life of, that is blood-bought and guilt-free, coming and going and feasting on the green pastures of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Probably the abundant life is the life that is spoken of when the Bible says, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not count his sin. The blessed life, the abundant life, the happy life is the one that is free from the penalty of sin. That's the abundant life. The one that bears fruit all season long. The life that it bears the fruit of forgiveness to others because it's been forgiven The one that shows mercy because it has been shown abundant mercy. There is an unshakable abundance of joy available to all who call on the name of the Lord. Why is that? Because of what the Lord says next. Because he laid down his life to give his life in order that we might have an abundant life. Because Jesus is our shepherd because we will not want anything under his care because all that we will ever want or need in him we have in unlimited supply there's this ridiculous notion that being a christian means being joyless grumpy funless this hasn't been my personal experience When the Lord saved you, he gave you a new heart, a new desires, and he demonstrated his goodness to you in that he becomes the satisfaction of those new desires. He gave you a heart to delight deeply in things, and then he himself becomes that deep delight. It's not coincidental, I don't think, that the strongest Christians I know are also the happiest and most joyful people I know all because of what Jesus says next in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who doesn't own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees and the wolf snatches them up and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Here's where the Lord shows the goodness of his shepherding. Here is the pasture for his people. Here is the source of their abundant life. Our good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. Though he had no sins of his own, he paid the sins of his people. This is the opposite of the hired hand. The hired hand, of course, is not a shepherd. He doesn't care anything at all for the sheep. They're not his. He's certainly not going to endanger himself to protect his sheep. He's looking to collect a paycheck and go home sleep well. But the true shepherd stays with the sheep, lays down his life for his sheep, runs into danger for his sheep. Where the hired hand flees The true shepherd fights, and he will not allow wolves to snatch or scatter his sheep. This is what Jesus did. When payment for sin was demanded, Jesus paid it himself. When the serpent came in judgment, Jesus crushed his ugly head. When the enemy came in naked accusation, Jesus clothed us in his righteousness. Jesus laid down his life for his sheep. Those who are in Christ are safe from danger, safe from the wrath of God, safe from judgment in hell, safe from the accusations of the enemy. Jesus is our good shepherd. And now notice, Cornerstone, what the Lord says next. Verse 14 and 15. Consider the weight of these words as they land on you. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Now, tease that out for a moment. What he just said was the same knowing God the Father has of God the Son, God the Son has for you if you are His. How well do you suppose God the Father knows God the Son? Well, they've existed in unbroken, untired fellowship forever. Before the ages began. And that same knowing that God the Father has for His Son, Cornerstone, God the Son has for you. Never once has Jesus been bored with you. Disinterested in you. Never once has Jesus found someone else more compelling than you. He's never tuned you out. Others may turn you out when you tell your stories. Jesus never tunes you out. He knows you. Dear one, he knows you. He knows your fears. Clearer than you know them. He knows your delights. He knows how you're feeling, even when you can't express how you're feeling. He knows when you're disappointed with your kids. He knows when you're tired of just getting by. He knows the frustrations you have with your job. He knows the struggles in your marriage. He knows the doubts you have about God and the Bible and church. And he knows your sins. He knows the resentments that you're holding on to. He knows the thoughts that you're thinking toward others. He knows the time you waste, the money you waste. He knows your lusts. He knows your self seeking. He knows when you're promoting yourself. He knows when you badmouth your parents when you badmouth your boss, when you slander the people in your church, when you slander your pastor. He knows every time you're being selfish, self-righteous. He knows when you judge others and look down on them and congratulate yourself that you're not as bad as they are. He knows it. Cornerstone, he knows it before you did it. Now finish the verse. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Us, sin-riddled, self-righteous, self-seeking, dejected, disappointed, disappointed doubters, He knew the sins we would commit before we committed them, and He died for them anyway. Our sin is no surprisement to the Lord. He knew every single time we would spurn the Holy Spirit's efforts to keep us away from sin. He knew we would love ourselves more than him. He knew he would, he would give us gifts and we would love those gifts more than him. And he gave them anyway. He knew we would push back his hand and throw ourselves headlong into sin because we love the feeling of sin more than the feeling of his delight in our life. He knew it and he laid down his life and died for us anyway. That's what a good shepherd does. That's what a good shepherd is. What an unspeakable blessing it is to be His sheep. Our good shepherd has shepherded us so very well. But I wonder if you've ever considered how he's done it. How has your good shepherd shepherded you in your life? I was wondering this some weeks ago as I was preparing this sermon. How has the Lord led me to good pasture? How has he fed my soul over the years? Because... Understand, less than a year after Jesus said this in John chapter 10, he went to the cross and he rose from the dead and he ascended into the Father and he sent the Holy Spirit and launched his church and there Jesus remains, our good shepherd remains in heaven with God until he comes again. And so how does Jesus so far removed from us in this life shepherd his sheep and lead them to good pasture when none of us see him? None of us hear His audible voice. So how does He lead us to good pasture? The answer is one you might not expect. Our Good Shepherd leads us to good pasture through His Word and through under-shepherds in the context of a local church community. And so I want to spend the last couple of minutes Just extolling the goodness of God that He shows to us and shepherding us so well through the community that we call the local church. As we gather every week on the Lord's Day, elders, pastors, shepherds, shepherd God's people through teaching and preaching the Lord's Word. And we hear God's Word and it builds our faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word. Christ. How many times has God's Holy Spirit encouraged you with exactly the word you needed to hear that moment through a song that Corey sang, through a prayer that someone prayed, or through uh, the message that was preached? That's God's grace in building your faith and strengthening you and encouraging you and equipping you for faithfulness and ministry. It happens every time that we gather as God's people to pray, and to hear the Scripture. And the way the Lord shepherds us in the context of the local church is when we see one another. I appreciate this morning, Kindria prayed that others would be encouraged by our conversations before church, after church. I don't know if you've ever considered God's grace that He shows to you when you see fellow members of your church on Sunday morning. And when they see you, God has given you two eyes and two ears through which he encourages you when you see God's grace in one another's lives. When you see how they carry themselves. When you see how they are with their children. When you watch the way God has been gracious in their life and how they compliment and cherish their spouse Have you wondered noticed how encouraged God how much encouragement God gives to you in the way that you watch others attentiveness to others needs and the way that they welcome visitors into this place in the ways they teach the preschoolers in our pebbles class and the way that they sit out of the service so that mothers can have a moment of rest I think some people view church as a, a spiritual pick-me-up, like a, some spiritual version of a gas station or something. I need an encouraging word to get through the next week. And that is to overlook the wonderful ways in which God uses our attendance, our conversations, our smiles as an encouragement to one another. I don't know if you've considered the impact that you have on others simply by coming to church every week. I watch you come through those doors some weeks, limping into church. Having just spent the last week being beat up by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I see you here week after week, and I am encouraged. That God has shown himself faithful to you for another week. You made it another week. And it reminds me to celebrate just how robust the gospel of Jesus Christ is in your life. That's what you do for one another when you show up to church on Sunday. Just simply by showing up. You're an encouragement to each other. Finally, the Lord shepherds us through pastors In Jesus' day, shepherds carried a crook, a little hooked pole. And as the sheep would come in and out, they would watch over them, look over them. And if there was something that caught their attention, they would pull them aside and help them. God has given pastors, under shepherds, to his people to watch them, to watch the way they walk, to care for them and to help them. In the same way the good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep, pastors lay down their life for those among them. Not to pay for sin, of course, but to protect them from it. To feed them a steady diet of God's Word so that they would know the voice of the true shepherd and they would not be lured away by the voice of a stranger. Well, these are just a few of the ways God shows His faithfulness to us, His goodness in shepherding us in the context of the local church. And I've asked the Lord, and I have every reason to believe He'll be faithful, to answer my prayer that us, Cornerstone Piqua, would be more attentive to His goodness in 2018. Let's stand for the prayer of confession. Let's pray. God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, our good and glorious shepherd all our lives long, we thank You. We thank You for the many ways that You've shown Yourself faithful to us. While we have been everything but faithful to You, You have been nothing but faithful to us you've sent your son to your people and this morning we've heard his voice and we confess to you that we have not lived out our lives in a way that is consistent with his word we have not followed his lead instead we've entertained the voice of strangers we've sought satisfaction in another flock We've been lured away by their empty promises of safety, and we've sought to find our own pastures. And in so doing, we have went astray. Lord, forgive our hearts, which are so prone to wonder. We confess, Lord, that we have denied that Jesus is the door. We've sought to make our own way into your flock. We sought to be our own shepherd, refusing to submit to his lead. Lord, forgive us, your people, for neglecting Jesus' shepherding in our lives. Forgive us for thinking only of ourselves, for withholding needed encouragement from others by neglecting to gather church on the Lord's day. And now, Lord, will you help us to trust your Son, to trust Him as our representative, as our Lord, as our Good Shepherd. Will you send your Spirit to empower us to be faithful? Will you give us ears to hear? And will you strengthen our feet as we follow Him? Come, please, Lord. Enlarge our hearts to delight in Jesus. Help us to remember that in him and in him alone will we be saved and find good pasture. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now we take a moment of silence to reflect on God's grace and mercy.